This is day 70 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing 1 Chronicles chapters 8 through 12. Lord Heavenly Father, stir our hearts up today. Restore us to the love and joy of your salvation when we fall away from you. When we allow sin and things to distract us, Lord, that you would, we would be reminded that you are faithful and that your mercies are fresh every morning and that there is hope through your Son. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be anxious for. We have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to lose except our commitment to you, and that is the most important thing that we cannot lose. We would hold fast to you in these times of difficulty in the world today and our personal struggles, that you would just cause us to submit to your will. Please humble us today. Please illuminate your word through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And Benjamin became the father of Bela, his firstborn, Ashbel the second, Ahara the third, Noah the fourth, and Rapha the fifth. Bela had sons, Adar, Gera, Abihud, Abishua, Naaman, Ahoa, Gera, Shephuphan, and Huram. These are the sons of Ehud. These are the heads of fathers' households of the inhabitants of Geba, and they are carried into an exile to Manahath, namely Naaman, Ahijah, and Gera. He carried them into exile, and he became the father of Uzzah and Ahihud. Shaharayim became the father of children in the country of Moab, after he had sent away Husham and Beara his wives. By Hodesh his wife, he became the father of Jobab, Zibiah, Mesha, Malcolm, Jeuz, Sakia, Mirma. These were his sons, heads of fathers' households. By Husham he became the father of Abitub and Elpeal. The sons of Elpeal were Eber, Misham and Shemed, who built Ono and Lod with its towns, and Bariah and Shemah, who were heads of fathers' households of the inhabitants of Ijalon, who put to flight the inhabitants of Gath, and Ahio, Shashak, and Jeremoth, Zebediah, Arad, Eder, Michael, Ishpah, and Johah were the sons of Bariah. Zebediah, Meshulam, Hiski, Heber, Ishmarai, Isliah, and Jobab were the sons of Elpeal. Jakim, Zikri, Zabdi, Elienai, Zilathai, Eliel, Adiah, Bariah, and Shimrath were the sons of Shimei. Ishpan, Eber, Eliel, Abdon, Zikri, Hanan, Hananiah, Elam, Anthathijah, Iphthiah, and Penuel were the sons of Shashak. Shamsharai, Shehariah, Athaliah, Jearashiah, Elijah, and Zikri were the sons of Jeroham. These were heads of the father's households, according to their generations, chief men who lived in Jerusalem. Now in Gibeon, Jael, the father of Gibeon, lived. And his wife's name was Maacah, 
and his firstborn son was Abdon, then Zur, Kish, Baal, Nadab, Gedor, Ahio, and Zekur. Mikloth became the father of Shimea. Then they also lived with their relatives in Jerusalem, opposite their other relatives. Ner became the father of Kish, and Kish became the father of Saul. And Saul became the father of Jonathan, Malkishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. The son of Jonathan was Merib Baal, and Merib Baal became the father of Micah. The sons of Micah were Pithon, Melech, Tereah, and Ahaz. Ahaz became the father of Jehoiada, and Jehoiada became the father of Alameth, Osmeveth, and Zimri. And Zimri became the father of Moza. Moza became the father of Benia. Raphah was his son, Eliasa his son, Azel his son. Azel had six sons, and these were their names. Azrakam, Bokuru, Ishmael, Shehariah, Obadiah, and Hanan. All these were the sons of Azel. The sons of Eshek, his brother, were Ulam, his firstborn, Jush the second, and Eliphalet the third. The sons of Ulam were mighty men of valor, archers, and had many sons and grandsons, a hundred and fifty of them. All these were the sons of Benjamin. So all Israel was enrolled by genealogies, and behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. And Judah was carried away into exile to Babylon for their unfaithfulness. Now the first who lived in their possessions in their cities were Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants. Some of the sons of Judah, of the sons of Benjamin, and of the sons of Ephraim and Manasseh, lived in Jerusalem. Uthai, the son of Amihud, the son of Omri, the son of Imri, the son of Bani, from the sons of Perez, the son of Judah. From the Shelanites were Asiah, the firstborn, and his sons. From the sons of Zerah were Jeuel and their relatives, 690 of them. From the sons of Benjamin were Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Hodaviah, the son of Hasanuah, and Ibniah, the son of Jeroam, and Elah, the son of Uzi, the son of Mikri, and Meshulam, the son of Shephatiah, the son of Ruel, the son of Ibnijah, and their relatives, according to their generations, 956. All these were heads of fathers' households, according to their fathers' houses. From the priests were Jediah, Jehoiarib, Jakin, and Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Briath, the son of Ahitub, the chief officer of the house of God, and Adiah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Pashur, the son of Malchijah, the son of Measai, the son of Adiel, the son of Jazara, the son of Meshulam, the son of Meshilamith, the son of Immer, and their relatives, heads of their father's households, 1,760 very able men for the work of the service of the house of God. Of the Levites were Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, 
the son of Azekram, the son of Hashabiah, of the sons of Merari, and Bakbakar, Heresh, and Galal, and Mataniah, the son of Mika, the son of Zikri, the son of Asaph, and Obadiah, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Galal, the son of Jedithan, and Barakiah, the son of Asa, the son of Elkanah, who lived in the villages of the Netophathites. Now the gatekeepers were Shalom, and Akub, and Talmon, and Ahiman, and their relatives, Shalom the chief being stationed until now at the king's gate to the east. These were the gatekeepers for the camp of the sons of Levi. Shalom the son of Koreh, the son of Abiasaph, the son of Korah, and his relatives of his father's house, the Korahites, were over the work of the service, keepers of the thresholds of the tent. And their fathers had been over the camp of the Lord, keepers of the entrance. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, was ruler over them previously, and the Lord was with them. Zechariah, the son of Meshelamiah, was gatekeeper of the entrance of the tent of meeting. All these who were chosen to be gatekeepers at the thresholds were 212. These were enrolled by genealogy in their villages, whom David and Samuel the seer appointed in their office of trust. So they and their sons had charge of the gates and of the house of the Lord, even the house of the tent, as guards. The gatekeepers were on the four sides, to the east, west, north, and south. Their relatives in their villages were to come in every seven days from time to time to be with them. For the four chief gatekeepers, who were Levites, were in an office of trust, and were over the chambers and over the treasuries in the house of God. They spent the night around the house of God, because the watch was committed to them, and they were in charge of opening it morning by morning. Now some of them had charge of the utensils of service, for they counted them when they brought them in and when they took them out. Some of them also were appointed over the furniture and over all the utensils of the sanctuary and over the fine flour and the wine and the oil and the frankincense and the spices. Some of the sons of the priests prepared the mixing of the spices. Mattathiah, one of the Levites, who was the firstborn of Shalom, the Korhite, had the responsibility over the things which were baked in pans. Some of their relatives of the sons of the Kohathites were over the showbread to prepare it every Sabbath. Now these are the singers, heads of fathers' households of the Levites, who lived in the chambers of the temple, free from other service, for they were engaged in their work day and night. These were heads of fathers' households of the Levites, according to their generations, chief men who lived in Jerusalem. In Gibeon, Jael, the father of Gibeon, lived, and his wife's name was Maacah. And his firstborn son was Abdon, then Zur, Kish, Baal, Ner, Nadab, Gedor, Ahio, Zechariah, and Mikloth. Mikloth became the father of Shimeon, and they also lived with their relatives in Jerusalem 
opposite their other relatives. Ner became the father of Kish, and Kish became the father of Saul. And Saul became the father of Jonathan, Malkishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. The son of Jonathan was Merib-Baal, and Merib-Baal became the father of Micah. The sons of Micah were Pithon, Melech, Tareah, and Ahaz. Ahaz became the father of Jara, and Jara became the father of Alameth, Asmaveth, and Zimri. And Zimri became the father of Moza, and Moza became the father of Beniah and Rephiah his son, Eliasa his son, Azel his son. Azel had six sons, whose names are these, Azrakam, Bokaru, and Ishmael, and Shariah, and Obadiah, and Hanan. These were the sons of Azel. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines, and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closely pursued Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle became heavy against Saul, and the archers overtook him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword, and thrust me through with it. Otherwise, these uncircumcised will come and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took his sword and fell on it. When his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he likewise fell on his sword and died. Thus Saul died with his three sons, and all those of his house died together. When all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that they had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. It came about the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they stripped him, and took his head and his armor, and sent messengers around the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the house of their gods, and fastened his head in the house of Dagon. When al Jabesh Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and took away the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons, and brought them to Jabesh, and they buried their bones under the oak in Jabesh, and fasted seven days. So Saul died for his trespass which he committed against the Lord, because of the word of the Lord which he did not keep and also because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry of it, and did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore he killed him, and turned the kingdom to David the son of Jesse. Then all Israel gathered to David at Hebron, and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. In times past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel 
and you shall be prince over my people Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel, according to the word of the Lord through Samuel. Then David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, that is, Jebus, and the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, were there. The inhabitants of Jebus said to David, You shall not enter here. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David had said, Whoever strikes down a Jebusite first shall be chief and commander. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went up first, and he became chief. Then David dwelt in the stronghold, therefore it was called the city of David. He built the city all around, from the Milo even to the surrounding area, and Joab repaired the rest of the city. David became greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. Now these are the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who gave him strong support in his kingdom, together with all Israel, to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. These constitute the list of the mighty men whom David had. Joshobeam, the son of a Hakamanite, the chief of the thirty, he lifted up his spear against three hundred whom he killed at one time. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, who was one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pastamim when the Philistines were gathered together there to battle. And there was a plot of ground full of barley, and the people fled before the Philistines. They took their stand in the midst of the plot and defended it, and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great victory. Now three of the thirty chief men went down to the rock to David, into the cave of Adullam, while the army of the Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, while the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. David had a craving, and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three broke through the camp of the Philistines, and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and took it, and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. As for Abshai, the brother of Joab, he was chief of the thirty, and he swung his spear against three hundred and killed them. And he had a name as well as the thirty. Of the three in the second rank, he was the most honored and became their commander. However, he did not attain to the first three. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, 
the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, mighty in deeds, struck down the two sons of Ariel of Moab. He also went down and killed a lion inside a pit on a snowy day. He killed an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. Now in the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam, and he went down to him with a club, and snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah the son of Jehoiada did, and had a name as well as the three mighty men. Behold, he was honored among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three, and David appointed him over his guard. Now the mighty men of the armies of Asahel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shemath, the Hararite, Pelez, the Pelonite, Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekoite, Abiezar, the Anathathite, Sibachai, the Hushathite, Eli, the Ahohite, Maharai, the Netophathite, Hiled, the son of Baana, the Netophathite, Ithai, the son of Ribai of Gibeah, of the sons of Benjamin, Beniah the Pirathonite, Hurai of the brooks of Gaash, Abiel the Arbathite, Asmaveth the Baharamite, Eliaba the Shealbanite, the sons of Hashem the Gizanite, Jonathan the son of Shagi the Hararite, Ahiam the son of Sakar the Hararite, Eliphal the son of Ur, Ephur the Mekarathite, Ahijah the Pelonite, Hezro the Carmelite, Nearai the son of Ezbi, Jobel the brother of Nathan, Mibhar the son of Hagri, Zelech the Ammonite, Naharai the Birathite, the armor-bearer of Joab the son of Zeruiah, Ira the Ithrite, Gareb the Ithrite, Uriah the Hittite, Zabad the son of Alai, Adina, the son of Shiza, the Reubenite, a chief of the Reubenites, and thirty with him. Hanan, the son of Maacah, and Josephite, the Mithnite, Uzziah, the Ashtarathite, Shammah and Jael, the sons of Hotham, the Ararite, Jedael, the son of Shimri, and Johah, his brother, the Tizite, Eliel, the Mahavite, and Jerabai, and Joshaviah, the sons of Elnaim, and Ithma the Moabite, Eliel and Obed and Jeasiel the Mezobeite. Now these are the ones who came to David at Ziklag, while he was still restricted because of Saul the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. They were equipped with bows, using both the right hand and the left to sling stones, and to shoot arrows from the bow. They were Saul's kinsmen from Benjamin. The chief was Ahiezer, then Joash, the sons of Shemaiah, the Gibeathite, and Jeziel, and Pelet, the sons of Asmaveth, and Barakah, and Jehu, the Anathathite, and Ishemaiah, the Gibeonite, a mighty man among the thirty, and over the thirty, then Jeremiah, 
Jehaziel, Yohanan, Josabad the Gadarathite, Eluzai, Jeremoth, Baaliah, Shemariah, Shephatiah the Harophite, Elkanah, Ishiah, Azarel, Jozer, Jashabim, the Korahites, and Joela and Zebediah, the sons of Jeroam of Gedor. From the Gadites there came over to David, in the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty men of valor, men trained for war, who could handle shield and spear, and whose faces were like the faces of lions, and they were as swift as the gazelles on the mountains. Ezer was the first, Obadiah the second, Eliab the third, Mishmanah the fourth, Jeremiah the fifth, Atai the sixth, Eliel the seventh, Yohanan the eighth, Elzabad the ninth, Jeremiah the tenth, Machbanai the eleventh. These of the sons of Gad were captains of the army. He who was least was equal to a hundred and greatest to a thousand. These are the ones who crossed the Jordan in the first month, when it was overflowing all its banks, and they put to flight all those in the valleys, both to the east and to the west. Then to the, some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to the stronghold to David. David went out to meet them, and said to them, If you come peacefully to me to help me, my heart shall be united with you. But if to betray me to my adversaries, since there is no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look on it and decide. Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, who was the chief of the thirty, and he said, We are yours, O David, and with you, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to him who helps you. Indeed, your God helps you. Then David received them and made them captains of the band. From Manasseh also some defected to David when he was about to go to battle with the Philistines against Saul. But they did not help them, for the lords of the Philistines, after consultation, sent him away, saying, At the cost of our heads he may defect to his master Saul. As he went to Ziklag there, defected to him from Manasseh, Adna, Josabad, Jediel, Michael, Josabad, Elihu, and Zilathai, captains of thousands who belonged to Manasseh. They helped David against the band of raiders, for they were all mighty men of valor, and were captains in the army. For day by day men came to David to help him, until there was a great army like the army of God. Now these are the numbers of the divisions equipped for war, who came to David at Hebron, to turn the kingdom of Saul to him, according to the word of the Lord. The sons of Judah, who bore shield and spear, were 6,800, equipped for war. Of the sons of Simeon, mighty men of valor for war, 7,100. Of the sons of Levi, 4,600. Now Jehoiada was the leader of the house of Aaron, 
and with him were three thousand seven hundred. Also Zadok, a young man mighty in valor, and of his father's house twenty-two captains. Of the sons of Benjamin, Saul's kinsmen, three thousand, for until now the greatest part of them had kept their allegiance to the house of Saul. Of the sons of Ephraim, twenty thousand eight hundred, mighty men of valor, famous men in their father's households. Of the half-tribe of Manasseh, eighteen thousand, who were designated by name to come and make David king. Of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do, their chiefs were two hundred, and all their kinsmen were at their command. Of Zebulun, there were fifty thousand who went out in the army, who could draw up in battle formation with all kinds of weapons of war, and helped David with an undivided heart. Of Naphtali, there were one thousand captains, and with them thirty-seven thousand with shield and spear. Of the Danites, who could draw up in battle formation, there were twenty-eight thousand six hundred. Of Asher, there were forty thousand who went out in the army to draw up in battle formation. From the other side of the Jordan, of the Reubenites and the Gadites, and of the half-tribe of Manasseh, there were one hundred and twenty thousand with all kinds of weapons of war for the battle. All these, being men of war who could draw up in battle formation, came to Hebron with a perfect heart to make David king over Israel. And all the rest also of Israel were of one mind to make David king. They were there with David three days, eating and drinking, for their kinsmen had prepared for them. Moreover, those who were near to them, even as far as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali, brought food on donkeys, camels, mules, and on oxen, great quantities of flour cakes, fig cakes, and bunches of raisins, wine, oil, oxen, and sheep. There was joy indeed in Israel. Okay, so today was a half and half, wasn't it? Half of it was tedious and difficult, and probably I butchered it again, but the other half was historical and seemed familiar to us. So, breaking it down very briefly today, chapter 8 is mostly about the tribe of Benjamin, and this is important because it's leading up to their first king, Saul. And so it's important to see his lineage and how Saul's family came to be in the land. Now something to note in the middle of the chapter here around verse 34, it mentions that the son of Jonathan was Meribaal. Now Meribaal is another name for somebody we do know, and his name is Mephibosheth, which we remember him being the one that was in David's court and had the lame legs, or something with his feet that was causing him to be either deformed or disabled to some degree. And this is the one that David showed kindness to as a means of keeping his covenant with Jonathan. So he's called Meribaal in here, 
So when the boy was named, Baal had no reference to the idol Baal at the time, but rather to God, because the basic meaning of the word Baal is master. However, later on, because of his disabilities and how little people thought of him, they changed his name, which which would be Mephibosheth, which the part of that's Bosheth in the Hebrew means shame. So they were ashamed of him because of his disability. How terrible is that, right? In those days, though, they had very particular standards. If you were not normal, then you were a weakling. If you had some sort of disability, you were a weakling. Even if you were left-handed, you were a weakling. Because they saw that the right hand was the dominant hand, which is the hand of power. So if you were left-handed in those days, then you were considered a weakling. So little things like that. Now, chapter 9 is a little bit out of place from the rest of the genealogy, but what this is showing here is a record of who first returned to the land after Babylon's captivity. So, because you're going to see some names in here that look familiar in other parts of Scripture, and you're like, well, why are we going from the lineage of Saul to now the ones who are leaving the exile? So after it talks about the ones who were the first ones to live in Palestine after Babylon's captivity of them, then it jumps to the temple staff, what families were in charge of what, and what men were responsible for what areas. So it jumps around a little bit, but it's just making sure that it encapsulates everything that who was in charge of what in the Levite family. Because as we know, the Levites were particularly set aside for the work of God's temple. So that's important for them to note as they go into back into Jerusalem. Then we have in chapter 10 a familiar story to us, and it's about Saul and his sons who die in battle to the Philistines before David becomes king. Now, all of it looks about the same, except for something that is very important. And this is what I'm talking about, comparing the kings to the chronicles, because the kings just told you the facts. But God is telling you in the chronicles why these things took place. And you see that at the last paragraph of chapter 10. Saul died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord. And if we recall, when he was king, there were many times where God gave him a command and he did not obey it. So that was part of it. But it also says, because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, right? He did not follow and obey to the letter. For example, when he went and conquered all those people, he took some of the best stuff and some of the best animals and he said, oh, no, I'm going to sacrifice with those. But Samuel's like, but God told you to completely wipe them out. Why do I hear all this sheep when you're supposed to have wiped out all the sheep? Things like that. His disobedience was what caused his death. And also because he asked counsel of a medium making inquiry of it. And he did not inquire of the Lord. 
Now, it does mention that he did try, and God did not answer him. So, is that a contradiction? No, it's not, because God knows the heart. And for all we know, Saul was asking selfishly, or just for his own benefit, and did not care about what God really wanted. He was just demanding things of God. That's how I see it. This is consistent with everything else Saul has done throughout his time as king. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was the reason why. And we saw the story as well when he did consult the medium, how God used that too, right? Where she was calling up the dead, so to speak, and somebody dead actually was called up, and it was Samuel himself. And she freaked out. I love that story because that's how God frustrates the plans of evil. And you see a little bit of his humor in it too, which I think is so fun to see. Then we see chapter 11, the rise and the anointing of David as king. And we see his hall of fame, if you will, his mighty heroes, which is something that was in the other books as well. Now, something to note, though, is this is one that will cause you to doubt. I mean, if people were really trying to disprove the Bible, right? We proclaim that the Bible is inerrant and infallible, meaning that it is without errors and it is without mistakes, without contradictions. It is the inspired Word of God. There's n- it's completely truthful. It is not history, merely history. It is not fiction. It is the truth. But there are so many people in the world that try to pick the Bible apart and try to find some sort of contradictions that are in it, just to where they can say, ah, you see that? If this is wrong, then certainly the whole thing is wrong. They try to do that. And here's how ridiculous they are. So, for example, in chapter 11, it talks about this man here in verse 11. It says that these constitute the list of the mighty men who David had. In this first one here, Joshabam, the son of the Hakmonite, the chief of the 30. What did he do? He lifted up his spear against 300 whom he killed at one time. Now, this is not the first time that it says this, because in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8, it says, Josheb Bashaabeth, a Tekumenite, chief of the captains, he was called Adino the Esnite, because of 800 slain by him at one time. So, this is the same person, and in one scripture it says, 800 were killed by him at one time. And then in the other one, it says that he lifted up his spear against 300 whom he killed at one time. So simple people are like, well, you know, that's an error. It's such a small error, but it's an error. You see, the Bible is not infallible. It's not inerrant. And what's really sad, unfortunately, there are several publishers, as well as Bibles that provide some sort of a commentary that support that. And they are basically defying their understanding of the inerrant Word of God. 
For example, in my commentary in my Bible, I use the Charles Ryrie New American Standard Version. He writes in this, he says, 2 Samuel 23 says 800 instead of 1 Chronicles saying 300, which is probably a copyist error, since the 3 and the 8 look much alike in the Hebrew. He's saying that it is an error in our Bible. And why would you do that, Mr. Ryrie? If you believe that the word is inerrant and that it does not make mistakes, then why would you support this statement? So I have a problem with that because obviously he's saying that the Bible could contain some errors because if Ezra was the author of 1 Chronicles, he didn't get his numbers right. Or he's saying his own publishers got the numbers wrong. And I disagree with both, because if you look at the understanding of these things, because there's several pieces of scripture that are like this throughout the Bible, and sometimes at a glance, they do look like they contradict. But you got to read very carefully as to what it says. It said in 2 Samuel that he killed 800 at one time, period, right? What does it say here in 1 Chronicles? It says he lifted up his spear against 300 whom he killed at one time. What's the difference? One has a spear and one does not. So that means he killed 300 people with a spear and then he killed the other 500 with something else. And there's a lot of those throughout the Bible. Like, for example, there's contradictions we'll see in Solomon's numbers as well, some of the things that he has, for example, his chariots and how many chariot riders he has. And the understanding is, it looks like a contradiction at a glance, but when you read the language very carefully, it says clearly that it looks different because it is different. It's not the exact same statement. And so we have to be very careful not to fall into this form of error. And that's why I cannot caution you enough. I take my Bible's commentary for a grain of salt. Because that's all it is. This Bible commentary that pastors or theologians or famous people put in these commentaries, that is their opinion. Or that is through their educated guesses. Through their exposition of scripture. However, it is not the Word of God. So I highly recommend not taking everything you read at the bottom footnote of your Bible at face value. Or if you read it somewhere else in some sort of concordance or online or comparing the, you know, some sort of commentary from some famous guy, it's not the Word of God. So be very careful not to believe that everything you read. Okay, let me tell you something else as well. We're going to get to the book of Job here eventually, and there's going to be a description of a beast called Behemoth. And you listen to the description of this thing, how it has a tail like a log and sharp teeth and does all this cool stuff. And, and you, look, you look at the description of it, and it just like, 
that sounds like a dinosaur. Because it is a dinosaur. But you look at the footnote of my Bible, and it says, it was likely a hippopotamus. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh when I read that, because I look at a hippopotamus, and I see its little bitty tail, and that does not look like a log to me at all. When I think of a log, I think of a big swinging tail that can destroy things. So, again, do not take footnotes as part of the actual scripture, because it's not. Listen to what the Word of God says for itself and make your own judgment. But let me be clear. There's only one way to understand the Bible. God is the author of the Bible, and he is the teacher of the Bible. People like me and people who lead your Sunday school and stuff like that, they are guides. Even your pastor is a guide into the Scripture. We cannot understand Scripture without the Holy Spirit teaching it to us. There are times where certain people just have that ability to just open up the Word to you. Or when you read a particular passage, how it just jumps off the page at you. That's the Holy Spirit's doing. That's not a man's effort. That's not any activity of man that caused that. So, just be very careful what you're listening to. Because we're worshiping the Lord God. We're not worshiping a man. We're not worshiping someone who is more educated than us. Nor should we see this person as being any higher to God than us. We are all equal in the eyes of God. There is no partiality with him. That's said multiple times. But he does use people for certain things. But the word of God is the word of God. And since God is the author of the Bible, he wrote things a certain way to where he wanted it to be understood a certain way. Now, can there be multiple applications of a scripture? Yes, absolutely. But there's only one way to understand what is written. I'll get off my soapbox now. But I felt that was necessary to say. And the last thing I'll say about our reading today is in chapter 12, when they anoint David as king, and we see that the whole nation of Israel and Judah unite together under one banner, which is King David. It goes to show that this was inspired by God that God moved these people's hearts to be united together. They helped David, like it said in verse 33, they helped him with an undivided heart. They went to him as one man. They were united. And that's how God wants us to be in his body of Christ, is we need to be united. We are independent of each other, because we are all members of the same body and we serve different functions. But we are to unite together under one banner. And that's what fellowship means. Fellowship is, in the Greek, a term that says to have something in common. And we do have one thing in common. We're all very different people, different personalities, different age groups, different backgrounds, different likes and dislikes. But at the end of the day, we have all things in common through Christ. And that's what brings us together. So I encourage you to listen and read very carefully what the Word says. Because 
as we're going to go through more of the Chronicles, there will be more times that if you are flipping back and forth between the Kings and Samuels to what it says in the Chronicles, there will be some numbers that may be a little off. But there is a reasonable explanation for them. So don't just throw it out as, well, that's wrong, or, oh, that's just a mistake. Are we as human beings capable of mistakes? Absolutely. But the Word of God is not. That's kind of basics, Christianity 101. We have to believe that everything in the Bible is true, right? So if we have trouble with things like, did Adam and Eve really talk to a snake in the garden? Yeah, yeah, they did. We have to believe things like that. Did God really cause the sun to stay in the sky for 24 more hours? Absolutely he did. You're telling me they were on that ark for so many months and they didn't eat each other and they survived that without any problems? Yeah. We have to take it as written because that's how God intended it to be written. He wanted us to understand it as fact, as history. They're not just a collection of stories. This is history and we have to treat it as such. So now we're going to be moving into David's exploits in, over the next few chapters, going into his lifetime, and then eventually going into the other kings. But David's got a lot of chapters dedicated to him in First Chronicles. So we'll see what we have in store for him. But that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.